0: The title of this morning's message is Look, There's More to This Than Meets the Eye. (laughs) I don't often have as catchy uh, a title as that, but I was quite impressed with that one. Look, There is More to This Than Meets the Eye. And just first of all, if we consider Hebrews 11, which is famously known as the great faith chapter, for obvious reasons, in this hall of faith, We read of various different people, ordinary people, might I add, ordinary people who said yes to going on an adventure with Jesus, with God. They said yes to him, and they followed him, and they were people of faith, and you know what it says in verse 38 about these people? It says, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. Ordinary people who went on an adventure with God and said yes to him. And in Hebrews 11, right at the very start of that chapter, 11 verse 1, here's what it says about these people. Here's what characterized them. They had faith. It says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance about what we do not see. You see, these people knew there was more to life than meets the eye. They knew there was an unseen reality. There is an unseen reality. And let's go to 2 Corinthians as well. Because Paul also knew that there was an unseen reality. And in 2 Corinthians, at the start, in and around chapter 1, Paul describes how he was under great pressure... Verse 8, he was under great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure. He despaired even of life itself. In fact, he he thought he had received the sentence of death. He thought he was going to die. He was under extreme pressure. But look what he says in chapter 4, right at the very end of chapter 4. he says, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. So guys, this morning, I just want you to see that the unseen is extremely, extremely important. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to go on an adventure with him, if you want to live a life of faith, not fear, then we need to get our eyes on the unseen. And my prayer for you this week, for me this week and for you is a strange one. It's that you will get a clearer picture of the unseen. A clearer picture of the unseen. So I just say, I just ask the Lord now, Lord, adjust our perception of reality. Help us to see with greater, greater clarity what the eyes can't see. And this is what I feel the Lord is saying this morning. Look, look, there's more to this than meets the eye. Ten years ago... Um, I had laser eye surgery. I don't know if anyone has has had that um but it's actually quite life changing especially because i was I was very very short sighted Let's just say if I was standing here and i before I had the the surgery, I wouldn't be able to see any of you. I would probably make up a few, make out a few fuzzy blobs, but I would not be able to see any faces. I, pr- I wouldn't be able to see... I would see a blur in front of me. So my eyesight was so bad. And this laser eye surgery was such a blessing to me. I couldn't see a thing without my glasses on. The day I had the, the surgery, I went to my sister. My sister was living in Belfast at the time, and I went to her house afterwards. And after you've had it, you can't let any light at your eyes. You have to bring glass, sunglasses with you. And I had a black towel. Um, so I was quite a sight. I had a black towel over my head, black glasses. And Jackie, my sister, when we were going home, she stayed in her house for an hour or two, and then she escorted me out to the car. I was like a celebrity being brought out to her car. <laughs> this tile over my head and these dark glasses. And she whisked me into the car and... and we sat or I sat in the car, she drove me up the motorway. I took a little peep out halfway up the motorway and I could read a number plate. It was amazing, life-changing, and a whole new vision of reality began that day for me and has continued ever since. My my vision of reality changed. Everything changed for me that day. I got clear vision. And I want you to think of this because we all, we, we all have a vision of reality and that vision of reality is based on certain core beliefs and actually we all have different core beliefs and they are based on many different things from our genetics to the way we're brought up to our culture, the media, what we expose ourselves to so we all have core beliefs and a different perception of reality. You know, my, my dad is colorblind. he if he was looking at a dark red car to him, it's green. He can't tell the difference between dark red and, and dark green. so everything in the red shades is green to him. and he for a Northern Irish farmer, that's that's pretty good. Everything is green. But that's that's not... He has a sort of a skewed perception of, of reality, and often we have as well. Anyone that's had their eyes tested, I'm sure many of you in here will have had their eyes tested, you get the big metal, heavy metal frame put on your eyes, and the optician puts various lenses in and out and asks what you can see, can you see clearer with that? Can you see? And then at the end, the optician puts in two lenses, and boom, everything's really crystal clear. You can see so clear. It's wonderful. So I had to introduce you to two lenses this morning, and if you could go to Revelation for me. Approach the book of Revelation with fear and trembling. Such a, an awesome book in the right sense of the word. Helen Revelation these lenses of Revelation 4 and 5 the world as we know it is different if we pop on the Revelation 4 and 5 lenses Daryl Johnson one of my favourite Regent teachers says no other book than Revelation helps us to see Jesus as he is right now as clearly and compellingly as the book of Revelation. No other book helps us see him in a way that overcomes our fears and frees us for radical faith. That is really relevant. We are living in fearful times. So anyone that's interested in tackling fear this morning, listen up. And I pray that you will have those Revelation 4 and 5 glasses on this morning. No other book will help you. To see Jesus in a way that will overcome your fear. The the word revelation. We're in Revelation 4 and 5. So flick over to the right place. The word revelation actually means apocalypse. Which means unveiling. And if you can imagine. The imagery here is of a curtain being pulled back. And you're getting a glimpse of what's behind and John writes revelation from a little rocky island called Patmos. And he has been exiled there. He's been left there to, to rot, basically. The Romans would have used Patmos as a prison. And he hasn't he needs something. He is he's, he's in a desperate situation. He needs something. And what happens is the curtain gets Pulled back a little bit, there's a revelation, there's an unveiling, and he has a great privilege of seeing what's behind it, and we have a great privilege of sharing in that vision. And we see in the prologue of actually of Revelation 1, John introduces this book and he says, he basically says he's writing to testify. verse 2, who testifies, this is John, testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's why I'm trembling this morning. Mm -hmm. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And listen, blessed are those who hear it, who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Take this to heart this morning. There's a, there's a blessing guaranteed this morning. John writes to testify of what he saw when that curtain got pulled back. Revelation 4 begins right before it starts in my Bible. It says, The throne in heaven, the throne. No other passage of scripture makes me want to fall on my knees like, like Revelation 4 and 5 and affects the way that I worship more than Revelation 4 and 5. Often when we're standing here and we're worshiping, I'll, I'll open to Revelation 4 and 5 and I'll glimpse down. It makes you want to fall on your knees and it is extremely relevant to us this morning in the culture that we're living in. We need to see the unseen Because our reality is is not all as it seems. There is more to this than meets the eye. The most frequent command in Revelation is, look, look. And it's not just a, look, look at that. Look, that's a nice day. Look at the lovely breakfast that's been provided. It's not that kind of look. It's what's called an imperative verb. Which demands an action. It's look, look. It's urgent and it demands an action. And it's the most frequent command in the book of Revelation. And we are we are called upon to look. And the second most frequent command in the book of Revelation, interestingly, don't know if you know this. It's fear not. The most frequent command is look, and the second most frequent command is fear not. And you know the two are inextricably linked. And it's exciting. The key to overcoming fear is look, look. And I have people coming in to me in the counselling room, and I'll tell you something about emotion. It's no good just telling someone to change their emotion. If I have clients coming in who are sad and I say to them, stop being sad, it will not work. Stop being anxious. Stop being fearful. It won't work. You can't just switch off an emotion. Just as you can't switch off how your body reacts to an emotion, the dry mouth, for example, in anxiety, the knot in your tummy, you can't just switch that off and on. That's involuntary. Mm-hmm. So if you want someone to change their emotion, then you look at their behaviour. You look at something they can do or something they can think. And this is why this is why fear and look are inextricably linked. And this is why to look is the antidote to fear. And John needed this vision as he was exiled on Patmos. He needed this vision. There was so much going on in the church. There was so much going on all around him at this time. He was exiled in AD 96. In AD 57, Emperor Nero was on the throne. He was feeding Christians to lions. There were outrageous things happening Okay, so he was feeding Christians to lions. In AD 94, Emperor Domitian was on the throne and he was extremely cruel. I believe the figure is there were about 40,000 Christians executed in AD 94. So this is AD 96, John is writing this. Or John is having this, unveiling this revelation. And in AD 57, around about that time um, it's believed history would tell us that Peter and Paul were crucified around that time as well John needed this vision and we need it Lord give us eyes to see let us see the unseen because we need this vision so let's glimpse down at Revelation 4 I can only pick out little bits and pieces because there is so much there is so much so I've gone to where I felt the Lord wanted us to go this morning. Revelation 4. The throne. In Revelation, the throne is mentioned 47 times. It's extremely, extremely important. 4 1. After this, I looked. Look. I looked. There before me. There was a door standing open in heaven and a voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, there was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Guys, there is a throne in heaven. My heart just leaps at this. There is a throne in heaven. And guess what? It's occupied. There is someone on it. It's easy to look around, to hear the news, to hear about all the tragic things that are happening, and it's easy to feel that there is not a throne, like that things are out of control. There's been some sort of coup. God's been put off the throne. But it's not true. There is a throne, this is reality. And we need to see it. There is a throne in heaven and it is occupied. It is occupied. And John can hardly find words to describe. The one who sat there had the appearance of... You know, he uses that language. It's like something. He can't, he can't say exactly what, it's, what it is because it's indescribable. But it's like. it's like something beautiful. It is like... It has the appearance of jasper and ruby. It's glorious. It's glorious. It's almost indescribable. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. It's like an emerald. It's like... But can you find words to describe what is on that throne? Further down, day and night, the living creatures, this is in verse 8, never stop. Saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. He is holy. He's on the throne. And He is Almighty. He is Almighty. On down to chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. You see, there is a plan. God's in control. There's a scroll and there's writing on both sides and is sealed with seven seals. Seven denotes perfection. Anytime you see seven, it's the symbolism of perfection. There's writing on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? No one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. Guys, no one was worthy. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. But then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look. There it is again. Look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. He's triumphed. He is the one. He's able to open the scrolls. And it's seven seals. Only he can do it. And then, behold, look. There's a lamb. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Do not weep. Look. The lamb has triumphed. The lion triumphed by becoming a lamb. And this is why when the last time I spoke, I spoke about discipleship. And the key to discipleship is death. Death to self. And Jesus himself shows us, he models it, that that's where our power lies. That's the way of the cross. It's the dynamic power of death to self. The dynamic power of laying down our rights. He triumphed by being slain. The Lion of Judah was and became the Lamb of God. And remember what John said, behold, look, behold the Lamb of God. It's the same word for look it's behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world that lamb has brought us hope and life and he has triumphed and guess what he is on the throne that throne is occupied in heaven and it's an unseen reality lord let us see get those lenses on and let's see that there is a throne and it's not a far off reality John said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. It's right there. The description in chapter 5. The lamb had seven horns. Those are not seven actual horns. That is imagery. Because horns, seven is the symbolism for perfection. Perfection. And horns denote strength and power. He is the perfection of strength and power. And he's on the throne. That is what the lamb looks like. He is perfect in power and perfect in strength. And not only that, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world, into all the earth, seven again, perfection, Eyes meaning and symbolizing wisdom. He is the perfection of wisdom. And he gave himself. He's not weak. He is perfect strength. He's not stupid. He is perfect wisdom. And he gave himself. He triumphed through the cross. At the center of reality is one who suffered. We need to know this. He suffered. And you need to know that you are not alone in your suffering. You might be suffering this morning. I believe many of you are in different ways. He is acquainted with grief. It says in Isaiah 53, he is acquainted with grief. He knows what it is to suffer. And I love what Daryl Johnson again says. He says, the closer we get to the Lamb... The closer we get to a heart that aches for a suffering world. And that is what has hooked me to that counselling room over and over again. I see the truth of Psalm 34. He is close to the brokenhearted. He cares. And he draws alongside. He doesn't turn his back. He's not missing in your suffering. He's right there. And he aches for a suffering world. You see, there is more to this than meets the eye. There's more to your struggles than meets the eye. Look, there's more to this than meets the eye. Do you see? Do you see that there is a throne? The Lord is on the throne. The perfection of wisdom and strength and power is on the throne. And not only that, he's near. He's at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And that is why... Those people in Hebrews 11 could do what they did. They saw something that you can't see with the naked eye. They saw the unseen and they knew the reality of it. So the Lord would say to you this morning, do not fear, look, look. I'm just going to read from Philippians chapter 4. And you all will know this. And probably have this underlined in your Bible. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I noticed something this week. chapter 4 at the end of verse 5 just before it goes into talking about your anxiety which is extremely relevant by the way there is an anxiety epidemic in in the world but certainly in this town and in this land there is an anxiety epidemic so this is extremely important and I've gone to this chapter and, and these verses many many times but I don't know how I didn't see this before Bearing in mind, in the original translations, and um, your chapters and your verses are not actually there, so it can be confusing. But the original translation of this, there'd be continuity between the end of chapter five on into, or verse five on into six. So it actually says, right before it talks about anxiety, it says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. So you remember what I said about an emotion? You can't just flick off and on an emotion. You can't just turn off anxiety. You need to look. You need to do something. And there's something extremely relevant about the preceding sentence right into talking about anxiety, the Lord is near. Look. Do you see it? He's near. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. He's near. That Lord who is on a throne. The perfection of wisdom. Perfection of power. He's near. And he's on the throne. Look. Don't need to be anxious. He's near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, this is what we're commanded to do. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Tell him about it. Tell him what it is. He's interested. Tell him the details of your life. Tell him what it is that's causing you that anxiety. He's near. Don't you see? Look. And verse seven it says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding and doesn't make sense, but it's real. Transcends all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's protective. It will be like a shield over your heart. The peace of God. Anyone that has never experienced fear doesn't have a pulse. Okay? It is real. We are all subject to fearful anxious thoughts or even just bad thoughts. And you know if those become more frequent, they can be called intrusive thoughts because they intrude when you when you're not expecting them. Fear can surprise you. On my way to hospital when I was in labor with Samuel, I had been very calm all through the all through the pregnancy. on the way to hospital, just like that, this is the way fear works. It, it can go like, just boom, <laughs> one minute you're fine, next minute it's like a stab in your heart and you feel it in your body and it hits you and it can surprise you. And all of a sudden on my way to hospital with Samuel, I can tell you exactly where I was on the road when, I, when it came to me, but I felt fear and I was scared. And in that moment, I heard a voice, not an audible voice, but I heard it as clear as anything. And it was three, three words, I am here, I'm here. And later on, whenever we got to the labour ward, and I was under the influence of gas and air, my poor husband, I kept saying, he's here, he's here. Jesus is here. David would he would be like, yeah, I know he's here. I know. (laughs) And I said, no, he's really here. He's here. (laughs) And that is my kind of memory of of giving birth to Samuel. Was it still hard? Yes, it was extremely hard, extremely painful. But Jesus was there. He was so real to me. I will never forget it. And he carried me through that. And he's so real. He's so real. And, you know, I mentioned we're all subject to these bad thoughts, these intrusive thoughts. If you are living and breathing, you will be faced with them. And you need to know what to do with them. I'll give you an example. I have a problem with my handbag. No, my handbag has a serious issue, okay? It keeps going missing. I believe it has a wandering spirit, actually. Um, it probably has abandonment issues in, in reality, okay? And actually, the handbag before that had the same problem, I know, and the one before that. So my poor handbag has been left on top of the car and I've driven off with it three times. Um, I've lost it More than three times a day. And on the third time, incidentally, when I left it on top of the car, it landed in a policeman's garden. (laughs) And I phoned the police station. I said, has a handbag been handed in by any chance? And they were laughing. I could hear laughing on the line and in the background. And apparently then it had fallen into a policeman's garden. And they said, no problem. It's in one piece. Um, Just go and pick it up at his house because it wasn't that far from my house. So I made David do it. I was too embarrassed. (laughs) Um, But anyway, let me tell you, whenever I lose my handbag, something happens, and I hear something, and it's just like a little whisper. And when I lose my watch, I hear a little whisper, thanks, Jed, for the lend of this watch today. (laughs) I hear a little whisper and you know what it is, it's Alzheimer's, (laughs) I'm serious and I'll tell you that strikes fear and I need to know what to do with that and I'll tell you what the wrong thing is to do with that (laughs) because we do have a choice when these thoughts come in. The wrong thing to do is to then go and look at, I wonder what the prevalence of early onset Alzheimer's is, I'll go and Google that. (laughs) That's the wrong thing to do, guys, to go look that up. I wonder what the symptoms, what other symptoms there are of Alzheimer's. I'm going to go look that up. That is the wrong thing to do, okay? Because these thoughts that come in, and you'll all get them. I'm sure you will not get that one. Well, you might. I don't know. (laughs) We all have our own issues. And that's the fact, you know, we're all individual, we're human, and we will get these thoughts, and they might actually be outrageous. Sometimes they are outrageous, and you'd be too embarrassed to tell anyone what your intrusive or bad thought is. But we have a choice with these thoughts. Freedom in Christ, when we did the course, there was a helpful section, and it was a bit about these thoughts that come in, these fearful thoughts. It's a bit like a plane, an airplane coming into land. They will come in they will fly around, but you don't have to allow it to land, okay? You don't have to allow it to land. So here's what I do whenever I hear Alzheimer's. I say, no, you're not landing here. And it usually goes. But if it doesn't, I need to combat it with truth, okay? So we need to take a step back. And I need to get, this is why the word of God has got to be a part of your daily life. It's so powerful. It is truth. And don't forget, Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And that's why we must look to him. You need to involve him in your fearful thought. And that is why, that is why fear and look go hand in hand, okay? So you may need to open the truth of God and you may need to fight back and shoot down the aeroplane with truth, okay? But either way, you have a choice with that aeroplane and you need to deal with it because it will run rampant if you do not deal with it. So we're coming to a close. And as we close, could we go to Job 19? Job is still my favourite character in the Bible has been for a while. Job 19. Job was such a good man and a righteous man. A man of integrity. A generous man. Job was an amazing guy. But as you know, we all know about Job's suffering. Job had an awful time. Take time later on to have a look at Job 19. I'll not go into it all I'll pick out a few things Job, remember such a good guy that he was Job epitomised suffering Okay, he was humiliated criticised, mocked verse 13 his family was alienated from him, his acquaintances were estranged from him People who used to chat to him didn't want to know him anymore. He was forgotten by his close friends. Job helped so many people and it got to a stage that people he has had helped didn't even look at him. Wouldn't even look at him. He had helped those people. He had fed many, many people. Some of those people that had eaten at his dinner table. They didn't even want to know him anymore. People were ignoring him. He maybe would have felt... Like a nuisance. People don't want me around. People feel awkward around me. Look what, his, look what his wife. Verse 17. This is awful. Like we all know that Job's wife wasn't known for her discretion. He says, my breath is offensive to my wife. How did he know that? Knowing Job's wife, she probably said to him, your breath stinks. I don't want you anywhere near me. Per Job. Poor Job. Poor Job. Those I love have turned against me. Feel his agony. Those I love have turned against me. You can just picture him. Downcast, in the dust, in the dirt. Alone, alone. You can just picture him. And then in verse 25, faith rises. And remember, faith is about seeing what you can't see with the naked eye. Faith rises, and he you can just picture him. He lifts his head, and his eyes sparkle. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. You see, there's more to this than meets the eye. There's more to this situation, this situation I'm in, than meets the eye. I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Job knew something. He knew Jesus is alive. His Redeemer was alive. And if you know and believe that in your core, if that is your core belief, that will sustain you through anything, anything he is alive, he is at hand, he is very near and he's on the throne. I was in Banbridge one day, final little story to finish. I was walking up the street and I had Rach with me and I noticed there was a group of young people talking to another group of people and there was a talk going on. There was a discussion going on about God. <laughs> and these people had been on the streets. They'd been giving out Bibles. And there was a bit of a de- debate going on. And I peeped over and I walked past. And then I walked back again. And then I walked up again. And Rich said to me, Mommy, what are we doing? We're not going home. <laughs> we walked up and we walked down. And then all of a sudden I found myself and you know me, that I don't put myself into... um, I don't just put myself out there. I'd rather be hidden. All of a sudden, I find myself in the middle of this group talking to these young people, and I said to them, he's real, he's real, and he's alive. And, guys, he is as real to me as any of you sitting here, and he is real, he's alive, and if you... Follow him and give your life to him. You will never regret it. You will never regret it. I'm just going to read a verse of a song to finish. And then, Aaron, if you want to come on. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know... He holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. And I want you to hear that last line again. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Because I feel that there is someone here who has wondered this week, is life worth the living? And I felt I was supposed to say this morning, yes, because he lives. Life is worth the living because he lives. So I'll just pray as we begin to worship.